Well, good morning, everyone. And for me, this is the first time in this church since March. <laughs> so I finally made it back in here. They let me pass here. So, uh, but it's great to be here. And uh, thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. Appreciate your pastor. And, uh, but you know, there's one thing that your pastor hates more than anything else in this world. What do you think it is? Bingo, cats. I'm the cat guy. All right. All right, here's the ironic thing. At our house, every Sunday, we, we watch Biltmore, every Sunday. And as soon as we start, about halfway through the music, our cat comes running in, gets on the bowl on the coffee table, and watches Pastor Bruce the whole time. And so I'm sitting there, and I'll take pictures of it. And text him says, well, my cat sure does like you, even though you hate him. So, uh, but so I'm not sure that no one's at home right now. My family's out of town. I got my one daughter, CJ, my oldest here with me. And uh, she just got off work. So there's no one to turn on the TV for the cat. The cat hasn't learned that part yet. But uh, um, cat's going to miss Pastor Bruce anyway. But uh, listen, it's great to be here. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. This is the first Sunday of the year. And I know what you're thinking, man, thank goodness 2020 is behind us, right? Well, the truth is we're not, we're not guaranteed 2021 is going to be any better. I mean, for, we say, well, it can't get any worse. You know, there's no way it can get worse. And listen, I hope it doesn't get worse. I hope it gets better. But we're not promised that. We're not promised that. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches the opposite, that things will get worse. Um, and I believe that we're very close to the end of times. Now, I don't think that part has begun yet, but I think we are very, very close, maybe in our lifetime, and we're starting to see the birth pangs. Now, we got a, you know, you got a lot of staff right behind me here that have been singing, and a lot of them are expecting babies. And so they're probably going uh, through the birth pangs right now, experiencing that contractions and the pain that comes with it. My wife is a laboring delivery nurse, and she's been in Raleigh, she works in Raleigh, North Carolina, Kendra does, and uh, so she's dealing with birth pains all the time. But the Bible says in Mark that there's going to be birth pains, these signs that are going to be coming to start marking the end of time. And one of those books that talks about the end of times is the book of Revelation. And that's where our text comes from today. Because as God is telling us about what is coming, he's telling us how to live in the now. Even with the birth pains going on, how do we live as a church? How do we live as believers? And one of the things I want us to focus on is that these, and we're going to take some action steps at the end, where we can start to focus and to have a personal spiritual revival starting in 2021. Now, it's the new year, right? And everybody's got their resolution, what they're going to do. And we could probably name the top five on our hands. We all know them. Matter of fact, I was pulling up to work the other day and talking to one of our, our security guards outside. And uh, he said, what's going to be your number one resolution? And I told him not to go to jail. So uh, hopefully that will come true. I won't go to jail. Not that I'm planning on it, but you never know. And the way this world going, if I keep preaching, I'll probably be going to jail. So um, I'm going to keep preaching regardless. And um, I know your pastor will do the same. But when it comes to our New Year's resolution, what, number one is what? Get in shape. And that was my security guard. He said, uh, he said my wife and I, we, this is still in December. He said, we've already bought our 2021 
gym memberships. They want to get in the gym. They want to work out, stay healthy. Um, uh, I got a number of doctor friends. One of my doctors comes to church here, and uh, he's, uh, he, know, he knows my family. He knows what I do, knows my work. I mean, he knows my eating habits, unfortunately. And, uh, and, it, and what we're going to see today in the text is kind of like a doctor's report, like a doctor's visit. But I got another doctor friend that lives up in Boone, and he's telling me what not to eat. He, he tells me stop eating cheese, stop eating salt, stop eating milk, drinking milk. And I'm like, these are like all the, those are the three food groups in my life, and I can't eat those anymore. And so I've been trying to watch what I eat and eat better, per se, because I'll eat about anything. I mean, I'm not the, I'm, not, I'm picky, but when you're from Western North Carolina, you eat everything, you know, basically. If it's there, you eat it. And so um, even though I'm picky, I, I eat a lot of probably bad food, too. And so I don't like all that healthy food sometimes because it has no taste, has no salt. <laughs> and I miss my salt. And so, but my, I got doctors trying to tell me how to eat better and do better and, and work out better, you know, so I can have a more productive life, longer productive life. And so they, they mean well, even though I don't like listening to them. Um, I know they mean well. And so I try to listen and do what they say because they have my best interests at heart. And so when we come to our text today, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Revelation chapter 2. And that's where our text is going to start. Um, but I want to give some, a little background to what we're reading, all right? Um, one of the things that we need to understand when we come to the book of Revelation, there, there's three major parts of Revelation. Um, and matter of fact, the outline of the book is found in chapter 1, verse 19. So if you have your paper Bibles, your old-fashioned Bibles, you can just look up a few verses ahead. There at chapter 1, verse 19. And this is what it is. This is Jesus talking to the church or talking to John in particular. In chapter 1, he's talking to John. He commands John. He says, John, write the things which you have seen. That's talking about the past. The things that you have seen, you've already seen. You've seen these things. Write them down. And then the things which are, that's the present tense. That's what our present day age right now we're going to find ourselves in. And then the things that will take place, future tense. So it's the past, the present, and the future. And when we come to Revelation, that's what it is. The past is the things that John has seen in his vision, the vision of Jesus. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not revelations. It's not plural. It's the revelation, singular. And it's dealing with the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friends, he is the subject of the whole New Testament, all right? He's the subject of the Old Testament, if he, if he didn't understand that. He, Jesus Christ, is, Jesus, is the main subject from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's easy to figure this out because the cross, if you look at the cross as a time marker in human history, everything in the Old Testament points to the cross, points forward to the cross. Everything in the New Testament looks back at the cross. Everything is looked through the eyes of looking through Jesus. And so here Jesus is uh, telling John to write the things that he has seen, this revelation. And so John's writing it down. Those are the things he's just seen in this vision that's taking place. Second, he says the things that which are. That deals with the present tense. Now, Jesus, he lived on this earth. John knew him here on earth, watched him ascend into heaven, and Jesus has been up in heaven. Then you and I, 
we've been down here on earth known as the church age. We're in the church age right now. And that end of that church age is when Jesus comes back at the end. So when Jesus goes up, we go through history. You and I are in this history. We're down here on earth. And then Jesus comes back down to earth. Those two markers, that's the church age. That's the part that you and I live in right now. This is the church age. We're at church now. And then uh, after that, we see that there is a, another part, the future tense, the things that will be, that will take place after this. Those are the future things, mainly the great tribulation, the, the day of when God's judging the world for rejecting his son. And God's pouring his wrath out on this world. And so, my friends, we're not there yet, trust me. All right? We're not in the end times. But the end days are coming. When? I don't know. But I promise you this. We're one day closer than we were yesterday. And I believe that we're getting close. If you look at all the signs, my friends, we're getting very close. Matter of fact, I think 2020 has marked the beginning of the great falling away. That the Bible talks about the end of times when the, the, the believers will fall away. And I think 2020 has begun that mark. And, um, but we still don't know when the return of Christ is. He's just given us signs of this is the, you're getting close to it. And I believe that we're getting close. And we need to live like he's coming back today. <laughs> Amen? We need to live like he's coming back today. How are we going to live every day for Jesus Christ? And so as we understand this text, when we come to chapter 2, Chapter 1 is dealing with the things in the past. Chapters 2 and 3 deal with the present tense. And after chapter 4 and to the end of the book deals with the future. It deals with the future. And so there's your one verse outline of the, for the book of Revelation. Now the part that you and I are going to look at is a letter. And it's the first letter to the churches. It's the church of Ephesus. Chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And so this is the the message that God has for the church, knowing that the end time is coming, how are we to live, how are we to prepare, how are we to live today? And so that's what I want to look at. Now, as we look at this, uh, it goes to the church of Ephesus. And Ephesus is a very important church in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And Ephesus was the prominent city of its time, all right? It was the big city in the area. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 19 that Paul would visit there on a missionary journey and he would plant a church. He would start a brand new church. This church here, Biltmore, has started a lot of campuses, a lot of churches, and it, which is wonderful. I, I got to be part a little bit of the East Campus when it first started. I got to go there on the very first Sunday and um, then it became Swannanoa. Now it's back to the East Campus and we've moved locations and I got to go to it. And so... And I was a church planner. I, I planted a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I loved it, and I still miss it today. Um, I miss preaching. Uh, when you're an evangelist, people only let you come and preach once in a while. But when you're a pastor, you get to preach every week, and that's what I miss. And that's why I'm glad to see you guys. I've, I've been saving up for a long time. So I've been like, like everybody else, cooped up. I'm ready to unload on somebody. You're welcome. And uh, I'm afraid for some of you guys down here, sorry guys, but you guys are like in the spit zone for me, sorry. <laughs> it's a bad time to be in the spit zone. So, but I heard Pastor Bruce is a spitter, so uh, you guys may be used to it. But um, anyway, as we come to hear this book, the, the Church of Ephesus, 
Uh, it was a predominant city. It was a port city. But if you go there today, you say, well, it's not even on the ocean. The river has, with all the silt, filled it in. And it, in other words, land kept going. And the seaport obviously died. And so the city died. And so the church is no longer there. The city's no longer there. It's just ruins. But what it was known for was one big thing. Asheville is known for one big house. My summer home. No, I'm just joking. It's my, it's the Biltmore house, isn't it? I mean, that's why people come from all around the world to see this beautiful place. And rightly so. It's a gorgeous place. They had something called the Temple of Diana. Matter of fact, my friends, it had, the Biltmore house couldn't even compare to this, all right? Because it was considered one of the seventh wonders of the world. In other words, people came from all around the world to see this temple and to go in it. And uh, Diana was a, she was a daughter of Zeus, they claimed. Uh, she, was, she could take shape of animals. She was like the, god, the goddess over animals. She was the god over fertility, of sex, all this type of stuff. So it was a very sexualized religion uh, in this worship of Diana, temple prostitutes and things like that. And um, we see that in this city, in the city of Ephesus, Paul would start a church, and this church would become an awesome church, all right? It would continue to grow. Now, he had no one there. He started a new church, led people to Christ. They started a church, and it continued to grow. All right, it, listen to the, the impact it had. Back in Acts, they talk about how it was a place of sorcery, black magic, witchcraft, and there was such a great revival, especially among those who practiced that, that they brought all their material and they threw it in the fire. And the Bible recorded that it was 50,000 days wages. That's how much they threw away. 50,000 day wages. If you got paid one piece of silver a day, that's how much it was. 50,000 pieces of silver. A day's wage was all thrown into the fire. Uh, you know, that, the equivalent of the price. All right. That's how much they threw into this fire to destroy it. That's the type of revival. It was having a huge impact in the community, leading people to Christ. Another thing that would take place short after that was a, a riot. The silversmiths, these silversmiths, they would uh, make little trinkets and things like that out of silver so that you could present it and worship to Diana, the goddess. And their business was being impacted so bad that nobody was buying their stuff. And their, their, their trade was going down the toilet. It was collapsing. And so Demetrius, one of these lead guys, he got together and started a riot to get Paul and these Christians thrown out of town. And, um, you know, he started an uproar. That's how big of an impact that this church had in this community. I mean, in other words, it was a great church. Matter of fact, they do a lot of great things here. And so that's what we're going to be looking at is how this prominent church, this prominent church that was involved in all its community efforts had a problem. Had a lot of great things, but had a problem. And I often think about this wonderful church here, this great church of Biltmore Church. This is a wonderful church. I, do you know what I love about this church? It's willing to tell people about Jesus Christ. All right, this church is engaged in its community, not just helping the spiritual needs, I mean the physical needs, but also the spiritual needs of the people in this community. So I applaud this church. That's what makes me want to come to be a part of this church. And I'm hoping that's one of my resolutions in 2021, join Biltmore Church. And uh, I got to get into one of those classes. My granddaddy joined by proxy. I'm trying to figure out how to join by proxy, but um, just season. I love to be around people, and so I can't wait to be a part of this church. Uh, even though I've been attending 
for a good while now. Um, my wife and I, we want to join this church. And so, but th- this church is a wonderful church, but I can't help to see that a lot of the same traits that this wonderful church in Ephesus have like Biltmore. And I don't see their problem in this church, but I think it's a problem for each and every one of us at times. And so um, if you have your Bibles, let's start reading this, this letter. All right, it's a letter. So just like any letter, you got it to somebody. Like when you write an email, it's to somebody, <laughs> from somebody, you, right? So here we go. Who's it to? To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So let's end right there for a second, all right? It's a letter. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things. So this is what God says. Give this to the angel at the church of Ephesus. All right? All right, we know what the church of Ephesus is. It was planted there back in Acts chapter 19. So, but the angel, what, what in the world does that mean? And uh, if you read almost all your different translations, it probably says angel there. There's a couple that will say the other word, which it really means messenger. That's what an angel is. It's a messenger. Like when we see Gabriel, he's, he's talking to Mary, he's talking to Joseph. What is he doing? He's delivering God's message to the people. And that's what, who does that in the local church? Who does that at Biltmore Church? Bruce Frank, your pastor. You actually get a whole team of pastors up here that do that. But Pastor Bruce being the head of the church here. In other words, he said, give this to the pastor, not an angel with a halo with little fluttering wings. It's not that type of an angel. It means messenger. Give this to the messenger, my messenger at the church of Ephesus. So give this to the pastor. So he writes this, and it's given to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, right? And then we see in the next part, who's it coming from? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. You say, okay, well, you're losing me now. Where are these stars? Where are these lampstands? Good question. The Bible actually tells us this. Look back in chapter 1, verse 20, the last, the last verse there in chapter 1, just right up above it. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and to the seven golden lampstands. Here it is. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. In other words, what you're seeing, the seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. You know, a a church is to be a light into this world, right? A light. And there's to be a lamp. And uh, so that's what the church is called, a lampstand here, all right? So in other words, to the angel, write this, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, write, these says, says he, who's the he? The person who holds the pastor's and who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands, all right? In other words, that is a picture of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who holds, not like as a merely a possession, but authority. They're in his hand. When I come and I preach in this pulpit right now, if I call this a pulpit, if I stand to the side, maybe it's not a pulpit, I don't know. This table, when I come here, I'm under the authority of your pastor, all right? And he's under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
all right? Your pastor is under the authority of Jesus. And that's what we're saying here. He said it's Jesus is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And he walks, it's a picture of Jesus literally walking through the church, walking up and down the aisles, going through the pews or the seats here. In other words, that's what, in other words, Jesus knows what's going on. He's very familiar. And if there's one thing I want you to know, that God knows what's going on in your life. Sometimes we, we think, God, do you really understand what's going on in my life? Yes, he really does know what's going on in your life. Jesus, I mean, seriously, you're going to allow this to happen? Don't you know I already got enough on my plate? Jesus knows what's on your plate. What I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus knows everything about you better than you know yourself. And sometimes we forget about that. We see our circumstances and we think, man, God doesn't care. God doesn't really know what's going on. But God does. And so I want to encourage you to know that God knows what's going on. I told you this is like a doctor visit. My doctor, he knows, he knows me. He knows everything that's going on in my life. He knows where I work, my family, uh, the, my stresses, my, unfortunately, my diet. He knows everything about me. So he knows me, all right? And that's what he's saying here. He goes, and that's what we're seeing right here in these first few verses. Uh, verses 1 through 3, Jesus knows our works. He knows us. And so he writes this letter, and he gives it to the church there in Ephesus. And he says, I know your toil. In other words, I know your labor. You've worked hard to the point of sweat. I mean, exertion. I mean, you have worked extremely hard for the gospel. They were known for the hard working church. They have done some wonderful things. This is Jesus commending them saying, good job. You've done a great job in this. You've done it better than anybody else. You've done an incredible job physically, emotionally, mentally. You've worked hard. I know what you've labored. I know your hard works, your labor, your patience. In other words, perseverance. That's a better word there. They've, they've, they patiently worked even through the tough times. Now, 2020, maybe go down is a very, probably the toughest year for most of us here. All right. I don't know everybody's situation. You may have a year that was worse. Um, but for a lot of us, 2020 is going to be one of our hardest years. How do, how do we work through all this? And th these people, maybe they didn't go through a COVID epidemic. They worked hard and they persevered under tough circumstances. Riots, being looked down upon by a lot of people in the community, being hated by some of the people that came to worship Diana. They were looked down upon, but yet they persevered. They continuously worked and they patiently did it for the Lord. And God commends them for their hard work. He knows what was going on. Uh, they refused to tolerate evil. Um, man, they wouldn't allow evil to come in through their front door. And if there's something that's wrong with a lot of churches today, they allow evil to come in. It's coming in in sheep's clothing. But they allow it to come in. But this church, they would recognize it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's evil coming through. The, uh -uh. And uh, they wouldn't allow it. Matter of fact, uh, back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, do not let the devil have a foothold in your church. And boy, did they heed that, and they never did. They, God's commending them. You've done a very good job in that. You've not tolerated evil. Spiritual discernment. There was a church known for spiritual discernment to being wise, making good decisions, wise decisions. 
And matter of fact, there would be these guest pastors that would come by, these other apostles that would come by, and they would start preaching, but it didn't line up with this. And do you know what they did? They said, out. No, it doesn't line up with this. You're not a true preacher. You're not a true apostle. Get out of here. And they would test the apostles. They would deceive what they believed. And they wouldn't tolerate it. And uh, they were, here's Jesus commending them. You've done well in this. You've endured for his name's sake. You've endured for the name of Jesus. If there's ever a greater compliment in the world, that's probably it right there. To be known someone who worked hard for the name of Jesus. And they worked hard for the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. They did everything they could to let people be known about the great name of Jesus. My friends, that's one word this world hates. It's Jesus. My dad, my poor dad, Franklin Graham, he's prayed in more public appearances than I think and my granddaddy too, but the world's changed since my granddaddy. And my dad gets up and prays in the name of Jesus and he's criticized. He's been sued for praying in the name of Jesus. All right. I mean, how would you get, get sued? All right. My dad thinks that's a badge of honor, by the way. He don't, it don't bother him a bit. He just keeps on going. But my friends, that's what, it, that's what we're seeing here. It's, it's the name of Jesus. And that's what they were doing. They were working in the name of Jesus, the most precious name under heaven. Even when they were being persecuted, they did it for the name of Jesus, they continued. There's power in a name, my friends. And they did it for the name of Jesus. Um, but they also did it here. Now, this is down in verse 6. Look at verse 6. But this you have, you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So another thing they hated was this group called the followers of Nicholas, the Nicolaitans. We don't know much about them. There's, there's some information in the Bible, very little. There's some found outside, like old church historians from the first century. They knew who this group was. They talk about them. But it was, a, it was really based on sexual perversion, sexual immorality. That was the premise of it. They would say, well, it's based on grace. And so they'd say, you can sleep around and God will forgive you. You can do this and God will forgive you. And uh, that, that, same, that same part's kind of flaring up even today. There's a group of people saying, oh, you can do anything you want. It's covered by grace. And my friends, everything is covered by grace. But what did Paul say in Romans? Do we sin that grace, do we sin the more so that grace can abound? He says, what? No. It's one of those no's. Or the way my granddaddy would say, no. He liked that word. That was his favorite word. My granddaddy, I, I miss my granddaddy. Now, for those who do not know, Billy Graham. And um, I miss my granddad. And uh, he, he was always fun to be around. He said that his favorite Christmas lights were the taillights of the kids and the grandkids leaving. <laughs> oh, he's hilarious. But no. We don't allow, we don't go keep sinning to let grace abound. And these Nicolaitans, this church didn't, hated them, didn't want to allow them to be a part of it. And they would preach against them. And Jesus commends them for it. I mean, this church has got like everything going for it, it seems like. But then Jesus comes just like a doctor. He knows all the things that they've done. 
But now the doctor says, here's the problem. So Jesus knows our works. Jesus knows our problems. And what that problem is, it's a problem of the heart. Let's look at the text together. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. They have left their first love. They did not lose it. (laughs) They left it. The Bible says, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. They love their neighbors wonderfully, done a lot of good things for their community. They love the Lord with their mind and their soul. Because you see this, they tested the apostles. They were using their mind. They were using their intellect to discern this, but they had lost the heart. They lost their first love. They had left it, not lost it. They had left their first love. And when you leave something, it's uh, sometimes it, it's because of our own actions. Like when I leave my keys somewhere, making sure I got my keys. I'm notorious for leaving my keys in different places. Got keys. We leave our keys, keys somewhere. All right, I, I, I left them somewhere, on, maybe not by purpose or design, but it was my actions that left them there. And I can't find them. And I have to go searching for them. And where, how do I go searching for my keys when I left them somewhere? I go back to the last place I know that I had them. You go back to the place of departure. When you got off the trail, you go back to the place you, got, you departed from. So we can get back to what we've left behind. I was uh, going, went to a, a wedding a while back down in Gastonia. And my wife and I, we decided, we knew it was going to be a late night, so we decided to spend the night down there. And uh, the older I get, the, the worse I sleep. And so I have to, I'd take my own pillow. I said, well, I'm going to be driving down there. I'll take my own pillow. I like my own pillow. And so I got down there, used my pillow, got up early that morning, had a horrible night of sleep in there anyway, and and took my pillow and left my pillow. I left it. And so I was already halfway back home when I called him back. Sorry, guys, I talk with my hands. So I'm always doing hand illustrations. Sorry. May drive you some of you nuts. But I I sat there and I called the hotel and I said, listen, I I left my pillow. And they said to describe it. I told them, they said, all right, we'll go get it and we'll put your name on it. I had to go back there. I had to go back and pick it back up or I had someone else do it. But I had to go back to that place where I left it to get my pillow. And that's what Jesus is saying. Get back to where you, you lost this. That, not lost, but you left it. Implies that, that we can return there. And Christ is always inviting us back to him. We can return to him. And maybe that's been your New Year's resolution that you want to come and return to him, be close to him. And that's what Christ will do, my friends. He's waiting on you. But Christ also, oh, and, it's, and not just we left it, but it was our first love. They did all the work for Christ. 
Their actions, their work had replaced to become their first love, their first priority in life. When God says, no, I'm your first priority. And what's been keeping you from God? What's been keeping your heart from following after God with your whole heart? I can tell you what's my problem at times. I love myself. (laughs) I think about my comforts, the things I want to do. So neither do I leave it, but I have the, I've left my first love and I replaced it with something else. Usually it's myself, me personally. Do I love my wife? Yes. Do I love my kids? Yes. Do I love my cat? Yes. But none of that should compare to God. My friends, when you love God first and all those other things fit into place, but so many times we try to put these things in place and then, then we get there and we can't figure out how to God, you can't get God in there. You haven't left room. You start with God and then God starts putting all those other pieces into place. And my friends, if there's ever a message for Will Graham, it is the church of Ephesus. I can be so busy doing things for my dad, for my granddad, ministry. We can be doing all these wonderful things. But there'll be times when I've, Put work ahead of God. And how can I test? One of the things I can test is myself. How much do I spend time in God's word? That's my my barometer. Showing the spirituality of my life. When I don't spend time in God's word, then I've replaced it with something else. TV. Games. Work. All for the name of sake of Jesus or something, but doesn't replace Jesus. There's nothing that can replace Jesus, my friends. So Christ knows us. He knows our works. He knows our problem. But Christ also knows the answer. He's the great physician, and he gives us a prescription. And look here in the verses. Remember, verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the first works or else I will come quickly and I'll remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. God even gives them a warning. Do these things or this is going to happen. My doctor says, well, do these things or guess what? You're going to have a heart attack. You're going you're to be out of shape. You're not going to last much longer. There's results to this. And God gives us his prescription. He says, remember. In other words, to correct any departure from God, the first step is to go back to the place of departure. And remember the zeal and the passion that we once had for Christ. And how do we get that passion for Christ? My friends, it's in God's word. I remember something that when uh, March came around, everything was shutting down. I was supposed to have a, a crusade, an evangelistic reach out in Tifton, Georgia. And uh, they canceled just about three or four days before, or two days before I left to go down there. Uh, it was in the University of Georgia's the arena was, in the, was under the umbrella of the University of Georgia, and the University of Georgia shut everything down. And so we couldn't go to Georgia. And so we made a, a quick call and said, we're going to do something online. And we're gonna, I'm going to preach straight into a camera, and nobody in the audience, I did it from the Cove, and I was doing it down there for Tifton, Georgia. Sorry, we're going to be down there this week, can't be down there. Let me give you a message. And so we were sitting in my, in the, at home one day, my wife said, what are you going to preach on? I said, I don't know. I was like, you know, everybody's scared. I don't, I don't know what to preach on. 
She said, preach on the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus that chases all fear away. Same thing happened to Peter when he was in the boat. Remember, the storm came. Jesus said, get out, Peter. Peter got out. And everything was going fine until what? He saw the waves. <laughs> he saw the waves of coronavirus. <laughs> and, and that's what I was doing. I was getting fear because of the coronavirus. And I had to put my attention back onto God, put my attention onto him, not Fox News, definitely not NBC or anything like that. Those news people just want you to be scared. And I had to look and look to God's word instead. He said, repent. Repent means to change direction. You can't keep going. And if you want to go in the same direction, you say, well, I'll just do it this way. You can't get there. I remember when I was in Atlanta, Georgia, I landed and a friend was taking me, going to take me to Auburn, Alabama. I was going to be speaking down there. And so I was heading down to Auburn, Alabama, but we're in the middle of all these intersections and interstates being worked on. The GPS couldn't figure out anything. I said, listen, just right there's the interstate. Get on that interstate. It's going to take us there. Just head west. We started heading west, got to the Alabama line. There's no Auburn there. I was on Interstate 20. Uh, for the geographically challenged, Auburn is not on Interstate 20, ever. It's on Interstate 85. I was on the wrong interstate. And I looked at my map on my phone, and I'm looking for Auburn. I was like, where in the world is it down 20? I can't find it. So I just typed it in. And you see your map start scrolling way down. It's like, oh, my goodness. I've been driving for two hours. I'm still two hours away for a meeting I was supposed to be at right then. Hmm. Guess what? When I realized that, I had to come to a point. Do I keep on going, hoping I'm going to get to Auburn, knowing it's not down that road? Or do I change directions and go a different direction? to get to the place where I need to do. That's what repentance is. It's changing direction in life to get to the place you need to get to. And Christ is telling you to change direction in life. Come back to him. Make him the love of your life more than anything else. Do the first works. A true love for Christ will always produce good works, but good works will not produce a love for Jesus. That's the difference. That's why he said, get back to the first works. Love me first, then all these works will make sense. My friends, we've got to give our heart back to Christ, make him the priority of our life. That's why we have these New Year resolutions, and for many of you, it's to start a strong relationship with Christ this year. It's a start, and you say, well, I'm going to spend more time in God's Word. And that's wonderful. That's where it needs to start. But I'm going to encourage you, how do we keep that first love the first love? All right? Let me give you some practical steps here, all right, as we close. We need to fall in love with God to get to know him again. All right? In other words, my friends, if we're going to get to know God, we got to, if we're going to fall in love with God, we get to have to get to know him. That's God's word. I want to encourage you to spend time in God's word. There's no substitutes for God's word. You're saying, well, Will, I got, I got Billy Graham's devotional book. That's good. Thank you. But it's not a substitute for God's word. You need to spend every morning or every evening in God's word. Just like you eat during the day. One of the things that my brother Roy, I have a, I'm the oldest of three brothers and a sister. And my brother Roy loves to tell this story. I, I wasn't there when my granddaddy did this or my brother was there, but my brother was. And my granddaddy would just, so, my granddaddy would just have the Bible there and he would come by 
And he would sit there and just read it for about that 10, you know, about 30 seconds, and then get up and walk off and go somewhere else. A couple of minutes later, he'd come by again and read some more. And my brother said, why? We call him Daddy Bill. Daddy Bill, why did you, why did you just not just sit down there and read the whole passage together? He said, son, I'm just sipping on it all day long. I never forgot that, that my brother shared. My friends, we just need to sip on God's word throughout the day. Allow God's word to soak into our life. And when it does that, then we have a love for God. Because we see all the great things he's done for him. We see the majesty of God, the glory of God, the love of God. And we fall in love with God here. Number two, a practical way of doing this. This church here, you have some, uh, you can go to our Biltmore, go to BiltmoreChurch.com. And under resources, there are going to be some reading guides. I know the pastors have talked about this. There will be some wonderful reading guides. You can read Psalms. Um, read, select the Psalms for 30 days, read the gospel in 40 days, or how about read the whole Bible in one year? You're on day number three. If you haven't started, go up and you can make up days one and two real quick and you can be on that plan right now, current on day number three. So go ahead and do that. That'd be a wonderful thing. Everybody should read the Bible. You should read the Bible throughout the year in one, in one year. And so there's some great resources there. I want to encourage you that way. Number three, for some of you, you don't know God personally. Now, I know we're in church right now, and, uh, but you may be here with a guest or something like that. Maybe you just came in for the first time because you, you're just trying to get close to God. Do you know God personally? Oh, yeah, well, I've known about him. I've, I've heard about him. I, I know about Jesus, and his last name's Christ, and... Uh, you know, we, we come up with, we, do you really know Jesus personally? Do you know him personally? Do you talk to him every day? Do you listen to him every day? It's one thing to talk, it's another thing to listen. Do you listen to him every day? My friends, if you haven't, you can give your life to Christ right now. Christ can come in and change your life. You can change direction, repent, go and toward him. You've been going away your whole life away from him. Now come back to him. You've come to church today. You've changed direction. You said, I'm coming back to Christ. Now, my friends, you have to give the most important thing that you have, and that's your heart. You have to give your heart to Christ. Surrender everything. You surrender your past. You surrender your present. And you surrender your future. And I've never met anybody that ever regretted giving their heart to Christ. Their only regret is they wish that they had done it earlier. Christ can change your life. Are you willing to surrender everything to him right now? My friends, start this year by surrendering the most precious thing you have, your heart. That's the only thing that God wants is your heart. We surrender that right now. I'm not, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to have a word of prayer. If you say, well, that's what I want in my life right now. I want Christ to come into my life. I want to start this year right by surrendering everything I have to him. Then, my friends, 2021 will be the greatest year of your life. Are you willing to do that right now? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. You just say this prayer with me, all right? Just say this in your heart. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not going to be calling you forward. I'll give you... 
Christian will come up and give you a few directions afterwards here in a minute. But just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross, that you stood in my place. I believe that three days later you rose again from the, from the grave. And Lord, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so, Lord, I surrender my past. I surrender my now, my present. I surrender my future. Use me as you see fit. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for giving me a new heart. I want you to be the Lord of my life. From now on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.